0: What I have to say to you this morning will take a little bit longer than what I normally take. So to assist you, we've uh, put some important points on the screen. I went to uh, the local uh, technological expert that any of us would consult in our house, and that is a teenager, and, uh, and Reed assisted me, and, and Chris will run it so it may help you. But I come to talk to you because I was reminded of a parable by Soren Kierkegaard uh, now more than a century and a half ago. He talked about a thief who broke into a store at night, but he didn't steal anything. Instead, he switched the price tags. And the things that were in the store that were most expensive, he put the least expensive price tags on them. And the things that were really least valuable, he put at a higher price. I tell you that because I've been watching the church and studying the church and thinking about the church since its inception 2,000 years ago. And I have to tell you that about 1,800 years ago, someone switched the price tags. The things that were originally important to the body of Christ became less important. And the things that were of less significance originally to Jesus and his disciples took on greater significance in the organized church. And the results, well, that we've gotten in the last 1,700, 1,800 years have not been too good. In fact, I'd like to tell you today that not only has the church had better days, the truth of the matter is the church has had better millennia. We haven't really made a whole lot of progress in recent centuries. Here's some of the evidence I would like to share with you this morning. There are four key results that indicate the church probably is not where Christ would have us be. The first is this, that honestly in the western church today we really have few converts to christianity with all the billions of dollars and efforts that the church has put into evangelism since 1948 in america for example there's not one single percentage point more or increase of people who claim to be christian and have a personal relationship with christ than in 1948 all the money all the time all the efforts and the revivals not a single bit of change One scarier statistic to me is this, that over the last 15 or so um, years, the population in the United States has grown up almost 15%. During that same period of time, the number of people who do not attend church has gone up 92%. We're not making many converts. But I saw such and such on TV and it looked like they were full. Well, they probably were. But like our church, most large churches really aren't converting people. They're attracting people from smaller churches who come and sit in their pews. Christendom has made very few converts over the last several centuries, if not longer. Second thing is, among the converts and people we do have, it's pretty clear that Christendom, the church today, has made very few disciples. Now, there are numbers of ways to decide and mark off and measure discipleship. Among those might be worship attendance or uh, volunteer service in, in the world, Bible study, uh, habits of prayer, small group. There's a number of ways you can measure a person's uh, attempt to grow in Christ. But, and by whatever measure, normally when you look at the average church member in America, it falls pretty short one that strikes me is is statistically, uh, this is pretty clear cut, is in the area of giving. In America, the average American gives 2.8% of their income to charity. The average church member gives 2.9% of their income to charity. Not a whole lot of difference between us and the world. Really few disciples being made. And even people that don't get discipled but are faithful and attend regularly we're learning attend less regularly than they used to. George Gallup tells us that for years, uh, worship attendance in America on a given weekend in in a synagogue or a church was about 40% of Americans. Now George Gallup is telling us that that's down to about 26% of Americans. And people who actually have done studies where they'll take everybody on the roll in a town and and find out if they were in church uh, that Sunday or, or synagogue have found that the fact of the matter is people typically lie to George Gallup and they tell George what they want to believe and that the real numbers are something like 18% or less of people on a given weekend are going to come and worship God. And the Methodist Church nationwide, our high watermark in recent years of worship attendance was 2002 and it's been on the decline ever since and we're typical of every denomination and even non-denominational churches. At Alamo Heights, the high watermark was 2000. And one. So, few converts, few disciples, struggling to hold on to our attenders, but worst of all, in my opinion, the church doesn't seem to be affecting the culture. After centuries, the culture doesn't look any more like Christ than when it did in the days of Jesus. Commentator Hugh Hewitt, uh, four years ago, was uh, looking at some of the signs by which they measure social health in america crime rate that sort of thing and and all of the figures at that time four years ago were 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 pointing downward and he had this uh comment he said call me old-fashioned but things don't look so good when all the social indicators are going in the wrong direction health of the family crime uh, all sorts of things uh, number of people living in poverty uh, we haven't made much of an effect on the culture the results we've been getting in a church have in uh, america and the western church have not been too good in our house when things aren't going well we always look for someone to blame not that it helps but we just do it so just to make me feel better i'm going to give you someone to blame who we blame for the reverse direction of the church for the last two millennia answer constantine some of you remember the story of constantine 312 ad he's camping out he's Uh, leading uh, the army in in battle and he sees a flaming cross in the sky and hears these words, by this sign you will conquer. And so Constantine decides then that uh, after winning that he will make the Roman Empire Christian. And so beginning 313, 314, 315, wheels go in motion and suddenly everyone's a Christian. They want to live or participate in the economy. And suddenly instead of a movement... The church has become an institution, an establishment, and the results were not pretty and the price tags got switched. I I see real four significant price tag switches that we need to be aware of. The first one was this. What happens from the days of Jesus and Peter and Paul and and the first couple centuries after Peter and Paul, uh, what they valued was uh, they valued mission. They valued mission before Constantine, and they were willing to risk their lives in the world. You probably know the twelve of the 11 disciples, rather, other than Judas, uh, 10 of them died for their faith, and one, John, spent a great deal of his time in exile or prison because of his faith. They were willing to take a risk. When uh, I was in Ephesus some years ago, with Ray Vanderland, he reminded us the beginning about 84 AD, they made it a law that you had to worship the emperor and burn incense to the emperor uh, Domitian as God. And the failure to do that, the, penant- the penalty for that failure would, would be death. So you risked your life to be a Christian. And then he walks you through what's left of the streets. They've only excavated 10 to 15% of Ephesus. And you come to where a dwelling must have been because there's a, 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 a stone, a, a pavement in the middle that must have been part of the sidewalk, we'd call it. And etched in to the stone in the front of this dwelling is the Christian symbol, the fish, the ichthys. Whoever carved that had to know he or she was risking their very life. But that's what we're about. It was about mission. It was about reaching out. It was about the passion that you had for Christ. And then after Constantine, it became maintenance. It became survival. It's it's open the doors and just keep the doors open. One amazing statistic is that Asia Minor started out, uh, Turkey, what we call Turkey today, and where the churches of Revelation are located, started out 0% Christian. First disciples got there, and in 150 and 200 years, many areas of Asia Minor were 90% Christian or more. And then within 100 years after Constantine, they go back toward 0% Christian. The price tag switch was very costly. Another switch that occurred is uh, the the people of God were always thought of in organic terms, like an organism. Uh, Paul used the term like a body. Uh, The Old Testament uses terms like vineyards and and fields. And and it was always where the DNA was kind of in the people. And you loved Jesus, and whatever you landed in the world, you started loving people for Jesus, and that was a church. And it was, as my friend Scott Hare says, kind of like an acorn, where the life, the oak, is within that seed. And it gets planted, and it comes up wherever it lands. But soon, in Constantine's era, it became more an organization. And the metaphor we might use is a blueprint. And structures and buildings were built, and we'd say, this is a church that isn't. And a great deal of energy was put into the right structures, the right positions, titles, qualifications for those positions in the organization. Now, many of you work for wonderful organizations. Maybe you work for the military or... Are uh, another uh, organization. And I'm not saying that's not the way to do it. I'm just saying that's not the way to do church because we've tried it since 313 and it hasn't worked. A third change that was very significant is the church moved from being incarnational. What that means is Jesus was inside the person. And the goal was... Take the Jesus inside of you to other people. Make relationships with other people. And they would experience Jesus in you and they would come to know about God and they would come uh, to be attracted to life in Christ because you incarnated Jesus. He, he was inside you. You were the witness for him. And so the important value here was Relationships. People just went about building relationships. Uh, those early disciples moved into 0% Christian areas and they just made friends and they lived among people and soon Christianity began to explode. The value, I think about Acts chapter 8 where Philip goes into a middle of a desert road to Gaza which is basically a road to nowhere and the Spirit sends him there to meet one guy from Ethiopia which is like the ends of the earth uh, to share faith with him in chapter 10, another guy named Peter has a dream one day Was on top of a, a roof, and he gets sent up the coast or down the coast from Joppa to Caesarea Philippi just to talk to one man, Cornelius. But it was worth it because the price tag on one individual in that relationship was very high. But then the price tag got switched, and what we started to value was attractional things. Open a building, open the doors, have a good enough program, and people will come. Don't worry about building the relationship. Just have a program. Have something for the kids. Have something for the children. Have something for the couples, and they'll flood in. And we lost the value of relationships. And the fact of the matter is folks typically haven't come in under this attraction uh, mindset. And, and it's still uh, it's, it's very noble. Did you see the paper yesterday about the guy that's a pastor that... Uh, takes on different movie personas on Sunday morning. So not too long ago, he was a joker. Pretty good joker, I thought, by by the picture. Well, that's all attractional. That assumes that the world's going to come into the door because the pastor's dressed up like Heath Ledger and and people are going to come to Christ. It's just not how it works. That's not how it works. Church members are entertained, but the average person struggling to raise their children and apart from God is not going to wander in to see the joker. That's just, they'll go to a theater to see them, but not into a church. But that's an attractional mindset. If you build it, they will come. So we have a marriage conference. I open the doors, have people come to learn about their marriage, but typically who shows up? Christian couples. And their marriages are in reasonably good shape. If not, they'll get some help. And if they're in good shape, they feel good about themselves because the speaker says what they already believe. But the couples struggling with their marriage who don't know God, they're not coming in those doors. How are they going to get help from their marriage? They're going to see it in you. If they like what they see in you and your spouse, they may one day ask you about it. Why don't you fight? Why aren't you stressed? How do you handle this? That because you incarnate the faith, they get attracted um, as opposed to trying to attract them by having some big program. So we, put, we move the price tag away from relationships and put it on programs. We have been very successful impacting the world like that. The final thing is one of the highest price tags for Jesus was on discipleship, being what he called a Talmud. The goal was not to know what Jesus knew. The goal was to be just like him in every situation in life. From the time you got up in the morning until you went to bed at night, what did he do? That's what you want to do. And that was the goal, and that's why he spent his life with 11 other uh, people and seven women. So they would get that picture. But we moved it with Constantine to membership, and the question was are you in or are you out? Paying your dues? Do you hold the right beliefs? Do you have the right doctrines? You're in. doesn't matter what your life looks like, but do you have the right belief set? And what we've reaped has not been particularly uh, what I think Christ had in mind. Because there are two problems with Constantinian approach to church. The first one is this. It's simply not biblical. That's not how they did it in the Bible. Jesus said to the disciples, go out into the world. He didn't say, tell the world to come into your building. He said, go out and make disciples, not see how big you can get the membership to be. Those were never his instructions. So we're not biblical, first of all. Second of all is, the world has changed. And in uh, in Constantine's day, uh, because he declared it so, the culture and the church were one. Because he just declared you Christian. But now... There's a huge gap between where most of the world is and where the church is. If you don't believe me, did you look at your neighborhood when you were driving into church this morning? How many were driving there with you? It's a huge gap. Uh, And there's a recent book that brought a lot of this to light in painful ways for some of us called UnChristian. And it says that basically if you ask people who aren't Christians about Christians, what are some of the key things that come to their mind? We're homophobic and we're hypocrites. Those are the top two. They don't say, oh, they're just like Jesus, and they love everybody. That's not anywhere on their list. There's such a distance between the culture and the church that that's why we can't attract, because the distance is too great. That's why we have to go in their direction and meet them where they are. Well, when the church is in a Constantinian world, it's kind of organized like a pyramid. Atop the pyramid is the senior pastor and the key staff, in the middle of the pyramid are some of the volunteer key lay leaders, and at the bottom of the, of the pyramid are the rest of the members. And the goal is uh, for the pastor to try to push down everything the pastor can to help take care of the lay leaders and take care of the members. Um, and then, and the culture is not even a part of the pyramid. But in more contemporary churches, I'd say like in the last 10 years, they've sort of in, it, taken that pyramid, turned it upside down. Pastor, staff are on the bottom. Uh, Lay leaders in the middle, members at the top. And so now the pastor says to the key lay leaders, uh, whether they be Stephen ministers or Sunday school teachers, and they say, you help me in in will. And the goal is still we take care of the members. And the culture is still out there somewhere. Tomorrow's church, if it is to survive and to be what Jesus wants, you're going to take that pyramid and turn it on its head. And everybody is going to move toward the culture. An example might be used used as this. The church goes in for a ride in a minivan. That's what I'm familiar with from days past. It's got three benches, you know, driver's seat, then a middle bench, and a back third bench. But the fact of the matter is the church never really expects much turbulence because it's not really doing much of anything. So it's just driving in the parking lot, so nobody has their seatbelt on. Suddenly the pastor behind the wheel slams on the brakes, and everybody goes flying to the front. Hopefully no one is injured. But now everyone is at the tip of that pyramid, closer to the culture that's where we're going it's time to slam on the brakes and say it's not what i do for you or what you do for the church it's what we together do to impact and bless the world we're all in the front seat on this thing well if i were to try to help you remember because this is longer than i normally preach here's some key thoughts i'd want you to have to to summarize and i hope there'll be words that you hear more and more around this church first word is community I mean, never forget that what Jesus came to do was bring us into relationship with God and relationship with each other. The most important thing about us is our relationships. And we would do well as a church to spend less time in meetings and more time just with one another and then with people out in the world. If you have to cancel your subcommittee or task force at the church this week so that you can go down to Starbucks and, and just hang out with people who are there, we'll do it about relationships. If you need to cut short your meeting today, so some, because somebody in your meeting is struggling with a life issue, well, you, you do it. That's the important thing about us. It's not the programs. It's the relationships. Second word uh, that I'd want you to know that I think is a key word is worship. And by worship, I mean worship as a lifestyle that in everything you do, whether it's in your garden or it's in your volunteer organization or whether it's at your job, whatever, or at school, whatever you're doing, you are doing to honor God that your life brings glory to God and people see that and they get interested. Put another way, if we want to reach people for Christ, don't invite them to come sit in the sanctuary, listen to the choir and hear a sermon. That's not how they're going to get it. If we want people to know more about Christ, the sermon is going to be you with them in the community, with them at work, with them in your neighborhood and they will see you and see that there's something different about you. Now, Of course, we still worship on Sunday. That's very significant. It's one of the Ten Commandments uh, that we keep the Sabbath holy. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Don't neglect getting together. But we do it so that we can be strengthened and encouraged to get out there where we're supposed to be in the world. Uh, So worship becomes a lifestyle. third word is mission. And that is we have to remember that The church, as Archbishop William Temple said after World War II, is the only institution, uh, unfortunate choice of words uh, 60 years later, but the only institution in the world that exists for the sake of other people. It's not about what we get out of it. It's about what is our impact. Are we salt and light to a hurting world that does not know Christ or does not live by what they know of him? Our mission is the goal. We're here for others, not primarily for ourselves. And the last thing is remember the word discipleship. That it's not how good a member you are. Do you have the right beliefs? Do you have the right doctrines? Are you in good standing? No, it's are you more like Jesus this year than you were last year? And there are a number of ways to get there, and our church is working on it, and we'll continue to work on it, and you'll hear about new, exciting ways. Uh, I think, to help you become more like Christ, including a wonderful conference with Dallas Willard and Eugene Peterson uh, uh, coming up uh, this coming summer, but all, all sorts of things. But the goal is to be like Christ, not to know about him, not to hold the proper beliefs about him, but to be in relationship with him and becoming more like him. Now, lest you think I'm making this up, I want you to know I'm not the only person talking about the effects of Constantine. Back in 1948, Karl Barth, a the great theologian, says, after watching what had happened in World War II in Nazi Germany, where the church just got co-opted and was no different from that world, said, I believe one day we will see what he, he called the end of the Constantinian church. The end of the church had just tried to be uh, an organization and instead became a church that would be a people really living for God in the world making a difference. But I want you to know there's a lot positive about our situation. So Let me give you five real positive things I think to think about. The first one is this. Our ship's not sinking. We've had a little bit of financial turbulence this year, but, but we'll, we're weathering it and we will. We're great people and we have a great cause. We'll do that. But Nationwide, when you listen to critics talk that are inside Christianity, they say the church as we know it today has about a 10 or 12-year run left because the, the generation behind me and behind them is so different. Our success rate with them has been so minimal that to keep doing what we do, we'll survive for a while. But Then I wondered, did Jesus die for us to survive or to really live? But the good news is we're not sinking. The second piece of good news is that we've been here before. In the first couple centuries, this is exactly what the church faced. They were over here, and before Constantine, the world was way over there. And they were a movement. They were a mission. They were passionate about Christ, and it made difference we've been here before i titled this message ancient paths because what the biblical advice is is when you're struggling look to see where people before you have gone how have they done it and the way they did it is through relationships they built relationships with people who didn't know god and by the way they lived their lives then those people were attracted to this incarnation they didn't build buildings they didn't hold meetings and conferences We've been here before. 1999, I was coming down from Mount Carmel with our leader, Ray Vanderland. And I said to him, boy, this has been a great trip. We were like 13 days into the trip. And I said, but it just strikes me that the world isn't so much like what Israel faced as the world seems to be like what the early church faced. And his eyes lit up and I could see that that was exactly where uh, he wanted me to be and what he wanted me to say. I'd walked right into it. And he said, tonight at our meeting before we go to bed, I want to tell you all about Turkey. And when I tell you about the exciting things I'm finding there about a country that was 0% Christian that moved toward 90% and then went back the other way after Constantine. He I said, I want, I want to talk to you about that. We've been there before. There are, there are ways to do this, and they're in the book of Acts, and, and we can get there. Third thing I want to tell you is we have a wonderful building, but what we need to do is see that this building is a launching pad. It's not the moon not a destination. Remember President Kennedy, 1961, by the end of the decade, we'll put a man on the moon. I'm not standing up here to say by the end of the decade, there'll be a person in every seat in the pew. That's not the destination. By the end of the decade, it would be great if every person in this pew were out in the world making relationships and loving other people, whether or not they ever find their way into this building. This is the launching pad. This is where we're trained, encouraged, I hope, and strengthened. For where we're really supposed to be, which is out there. Fourth thing I just want to remind you is I have no intention of trying to undo 17, 18 centuries of the way we've done church. But I do want to prod and push us to consider experiments while we keep what we're doing that works. Uh, for us to begin to experiment and look for how we can get out in the world. And so our, our coffee shop, The Foundry, is a wonderful experience. We're, experiment. We're out there building relationships uh, with people in McCullough and Wiesach and uh, that area near, near Trinity, uh, building relationships out there. Uh, Riverside, wonderful experiment now in its um, uh, fourth year. We need to continue to support that and look for ways that we can be a part of that. And lastly, I want to tell you that I'm going to spend the next year and few months Trying to set it up to where, and by 2010, people who are leading in our church won't be based on representing a class or a group or an opinion or because they have expertise in a certain area. But what you will know is the people who are leading this church will have made some fundamental commitments about prayer, Bible study, worship, giving, and service. Leadership will be a lifestyle, and you will know that you can trust the decisions they will make because of who they are, not because of some expertise our ability to lobby for a certain a class or a position. Well, as you leave from here, how could you get started? Let me make three suggestions of some moves that you can make. The first one is this. To as much as you can in the days ahead, move your heart closer to Jesus. What I'm trying to tell you is no longer do people off the street come in here to hear a sermon, but when you're on the street with them, your life becomes a sermon for them. So the closer you are to Christ, the better chance you have to impact them positively and impact this world. Second thing, insofar as it's possible, you need to move your group that's currently meeting on our campus off campus. Coffee shop to your neighborhood. People can see the cars lined up and wonder what it is and maybe get invited to to eat or share or have coffee and and become to know you not for the purpose of dragging them in here the next week but for the purpose of loving them and being in relationship with them. But you need to be out where they are in as much as it's possible. A lot of you know I'm a flaming introvert and, and I guard my library time zealously. And on uh, uh, one afternoon a week and then all day Thursday, I can usually be found at Trinity University Library. But to be real honest, unless it's midterms or finals, there aren't any students in there. I'm not seeing the same people over and over. Different person with their books at a different time. So what I've learned is that I'm going to have to take my study day, and I started about a week and a half ago, and move it to a local coffee shop with a bookstore. Uh, And then over time, I'll begin to know and meet people, and they'll begin to know and meet me. Not that I can drag them in here, but that I can bring Christ out there. We all need to think about similar moves. And finally, we need to move closer to wherever there is need and wherever there's hurt in the world. I have two confessions to make, which Chris reminded me about when he spoke today. The first one was, When we had that long line of people lining up to uh, sign up to volunteer with the evacuees, I cut in line. I did. I'm the pastor. I went to the front. I signed up while there was still availability on the first day because I wanted to be there near the start. I wanted to watch this thing unfold. I did. But the other confession I want to make is this. I, like Chris, have had many moments to be so proud of who we are, but I was never more pleased with who we are and what we're about than watching a line of people give up Labor Day weekend for others. But here's the deal. We help those in need, but they came to us. Some came in ambulances. Some came in vans. Some came with a lot of belongings. Some came with no belongings. But they came to us. And we responded. But now we must look and pray for ways to go to them. Jesus said the poor will always be with you. And it wasn't that Jesus was uh, making excuses about anything or just saying leave life alone because it's never going to change. I think it was more like saying you will always have opportunity for me if you're open to that. But let's say we meet people. Let's say we're in relationships with them. And let's say they become interested in who we are. And let's say they come into our community. What kind of community will they find well that's where we want to turn our attention the rest of this fall we want to begin to talk about becoming the kind of community that jesus had in mind when he started us and becoming the kind of community for whom he died